0: A good morning to you. The Lord is good. The Lord is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? It means that He is all-knowing, He is all-powerful. All-powerful. There is no one. Sovereignty, part of that means that there is no being, no power, no army, no nothing that is bigger. Sovereign means right on top. There is no, nothing bigger. Amen. Very good. Uh, Today, uh, my subject is Reckoning and Debt to Self. It is part of a baptismal series I want to bring the next two. Um, Today, we're going to be, uh, it's going to be a teaching from Romans chapter 6. I think we're all somewhat familiar with that chapter. Um, I bring it to the young ones. So, I'm hopefully you all will, will glean something from it, the older ones that are more uh, experienced in the faith. Um, Lord willing, we want to bring a baptism next month. I guess it hasn't been announced on any dates, but we're working with various young people right now to leadership. And we're getting prepared and we're starting the teachings. And today will be a teaching on baptism. Um, it is a message for all of us, for all the scriptures, for all of us. And let us also have the mind this morning and always when we come up here Sunday morning, um, we, we're not coming to be entertained. Sometimes we need to really dig into the Word, to to meditate on the Word, and it's, it's not fun. The Bereans dug into the Word, not because it was fun, but because something in their heart desired it. They, they had a, a longing and a, a wanting after God and the things of God. Something in them, it was the Holy Spirit in them that desired God, a desire to dig into Scripture. And this is the heart of why, how we need to come this morning and, and not look for interesting stories, and that's good and being entertained this is not why we're coming here this morning and i just want to lay that groundwork that we need to we need to uh, accustom ourselves to dig into the word even if it is hard even if it is it's not according to our flesh to dig in to study and i'm not saying i'm going to have a boring message that's not what i'm saying i'm saying is open your bible And follow along and and start digging it. Let your heart be changed. Let your heart be molded according to the word. This is our desire here as we bring a word. A lot of heart, a lot of prayer, and a lot of effort goes into our messages. And we will have to take account for everything that we hear. Um, Again, thank you, Brother Richard, for this word. We might come back to it. I uh, I want to mention one quote that you mentioned here that's very important later on. Um, So by the Lord's help, let's read Romans chapter 6. I don't know if we should read all of it, but I think it might be fitting to read all of it. So you all have your Bibles open to uh, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us who were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. um, Verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Hallelujah. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, That the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, died no more, death had no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he lived unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a key verse here, verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a key here to overcoming sin. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members, that means your eyes, your hands, your feet, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you any longer, for you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? absolutely not god forbid know you not that to whom ye you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness but god be thanked that you were the servants of sin but not any longer but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you verse 18 being made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and in iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in these things thereof? Ye are now ashamed, for the end of these things is death. But now being made free from sin, and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans 6 is not all-inclusive to Christianity. It does not give us a total picture on Christianity, but it is nonetheless very important to get a good groundwork, a good foundation in this chapter before we move on to chapter 7 and 8. Indeed, if we don't understand Romans 6 in experience, we will not live in, in victory over sin. Now, if I had a show of hands here, and I'm not going to, but if I had a show of hands, I would ask you, how many of you are living over sin? How many of you have victory over sin? How many in your heart could you truly say that you have victory over sin? Totally honest with yourself. Do you have victory over sin? And if you don't, I mean, just be honest with yourself. If you don't, then you might not have laid the foundation. You might not fully understand chapter 6, what it means to have victory over sin. And we see here in these verses that they are dealing with the present, not the future tense. These things are done. He said... um, I forget here which verse it is, but it's it all speaks in the past tense, the past and present. It is all done. It is not something we look forward to in the future. It is all here and now. And it's speaking to Christians. It's speaking to those that were once in bondage to sin, but now they're not. These things are done if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and made a decision to give our lives to Him, not only in accepting Him, but being baptized by water unto His death. This is what baptism is, is that you are showing the world symbolically and by obedience to Him that you are dead and that you're no longer living for yourself, but you're living for Christ. You go down into the water and you rise up as a new creature. Re- reality and symbolically, that we are dead in Christ. They are not in the. They are not in the future, and Christians need not work towards these things, because it has happened, it is done. It is in past tense. Today we will teach on these three points. What is the difference between having faith and reckoning? They practically mean the same thing but they strike a little different direction. Fate, what is fate, is the acceptance of God's fact. Faith has always had its foundation in the past. What relates to the future is hope rather than fate, although fate often has its object or goal in the future, as Hebrews 11 shows. And then reckoning, how it relates only to the past, to what we look back to as settled, and not forward as to yet to be or happen. Reckoning relates only to the past, to what we look back to as settled, and not forward to as yet to happen. <coughs> it's very important that our reckoning must be based on knowledge of divinely revealed fact. What, is, what do I mean with that? Divinely meaning a supernatural working of the spirit in our heart. We have been born again. That is divine. Otherwise, fate has now, found a, otherwise fate has now foundation on which to rest because we know we reckon spontaneously or automatically. That's like Richard said, there shall come a time in our lives where we shall know that I am the Lord. And that is the time where we finally realize of God's work that he has done in our, divinely done in our hearts. It is something divine. And if you've never had that divine experience from God, you will never have victory over sin. If people try to reckon themselves dead without knowing divinely that we are dead in christ that he has done a work in us we will face a lot of difficulties for when temptation comes and they begin to reckon i am dead i am dead or i am truly am i truly a christian am i truly a christian For in the very act of reckoning without the knowledge of divine encounter with Christ, they lose their temper or they fall back into sin. They say it didn't work. Romans 6.11 does not work for me. This is the groundwork I want to lay here this morning. Unless we know for a fact that we are dead with Christ, the more we reckon the more intense will the struggle become and the issue will sure end up in a failure. Watch him and he his testimony on how he once struggled with this. And I can relate to it. I didn't exactly have this experience, but I can surely relate to it. For years after my conversion, I had been taught to reckon I reckoned from 1920 to 1927. The more I reckoned that I was dead to sin, the more clearly alive I was. I simply could not believe myself dead and could not produce the death. Whenever I sought help from others, I was told to read Romans 6.11 again. And the more I read Romans 6.11 and tried to reckon, the further away that was. I could not get at it. I fully appreciated the teaching that I must reckon, but I could not make out why nothing resulted from it. I have to confess that for months I was troubled. I said to the Lord, if this is not clear, I cannot be brought to see this which is so very fundamental. I will cease to do anything. I will not preach anymore. I will not go out to serve thee anymore. I want first of all to get thoroughly clear here. For months I was seeking and at times I fasted, but nothing came through. I remember one morning. That morning was real was a real morning and one I can never forget. I was praying and I said, Lord, open my eyes. Then in a flash, I saw it. I saw my oneness with Christ. I saw that I was in him and that when he died, I died. I saw that the question of my death was a matter of the past and not in the future. And that I was truly as truly dead as he was because I was in him when he died. The whole thing had dawned upon me. I was carried away with such a joy at this great discovery that I jumped from my chair and I cried, Praise the Lord, I am dead. I ran downstairs and met one of the brothers helping in the kitchen and laid hold of him. Brother, do you know that I have died? I must admit he looked puzzled. What do you mean? He said. So I went on. Do you not know that Christ has died? Do you not know that I died with him? Do you not know that my death is no less truly a fact than his? Oh, it was so real to me. I longed to go through the streets of Shanghai, shouting the news of my discovery. From that day to this, I have never for one moment doubted the finality of that work, that I have been crucified with Christ. Amen. Amen. I think all of us need to go through that journey to see how we truly have died with him on that cross. And there will be fruits associated with that realization. Revelation of that we died with him is as important as the revelation that Christ died for us. So it was the revelation that Mr. Nee needed to reckon. Having that doctrine wasn't enough. He had to experience it from God himself. Most of us can remember the day, the time, or the series of events that contributed to us being born again how we accepted Christ as our personal Savior and that he died for us on the cross. That was a revelation. It's equally as important to understand and and a revelation from Christ that we died with with Christ on the cross. Reckoning in Greek means to do bookkeeping, to account, to put rightly. Imagine that we have $5,000 in our bank account. We're doing our accounts on a computer. What do we enter in? Can we enter in $4,000? No, we must enter in $5,000 because that's what we have in our account. Reckoning is the same. Accounting is the reckoning of facts, not not what we feel like. Because I'm really dead, because I'm really dead that God tells us to account it so he could not ask us to reckon that we are dead if we would still be alive. It is only possible in Christ. Lord, I believe in you. I reckon upon the fact in you. We need to stand there all day. Brethren, this is in the scripture. This is what Romans 6 is saying. And we need to understand it. Let's review. Two of the greatest facts in history are these, that all our sins are dealt with by the blood of the cross, blood and the cross, and that we ourselves are dealt with by the cross. Our sin is dealt with by the cross, by putting ourselves on the cross with the Lord. One of the devil's tricks is to make us doubt the facts. After we have seen by revelation of the Spirit of God, that we indeed are dead with Christ and have reckoned it so, he will come and say, there is something wrong inside. What about it? Can he call this death? The critical test has arrived and we are going to believe the tangible facts of the natural realm, which are clearly before our eyes, or the intangible facts of the spiritual realm, which are neither seen nor scientifically proven. Let's read this verse again. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are not told that sin as a principle in us is rooted out or removed altogether. We are sinners. And while we are in this vessel We will be sinners, but we're redeemed sinners, not to sin. He that sinned, John said, is none of his, has neither seen God. So what does it mean? We are not told that sin as a principle in us is rooted out or removed altogether. To reckon on that would be a miscalculation altogether. Just like us trying to reckon that we have $4,000 when in reality we have 5000 in our account. No sin is not eradicated around us. It is very much here. And given the opportunity will um, overpower us and cause us to commit sins again. Whether consciously or unconsciously. That is why we should always need to know the operation of the precious blood. The atonement. God does not remove the sin, but the sinner. Our old man was crucified with him. And because of this, the body, which before had seen a vehicle of sin, doesn't have a job any longer. Now, don't get it wrong here. Sin, the old master, is still around us. But the slave who served him has been put to death. And so is out of reach and his members are unemployed. The swearer's tongue is unemployed. The lustful eyes have been unemployed. The hands that have done evil things are without a job. The members of the body that before time were used for the flesh have been crucified and are now used for the instruments of righteousness unto God. Romans 6.13 Romans 6.7 For he that is dead is free from sin. Verse 11. Likewise, ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Based on these verses, we can more accurately say that we have been delivered from sin, not victory over sin. We have been delivered from a power that is still very present and very real, not from something that no longer exists. Sin has the potential to be there again, but we are knowing Knowingly delivered, but we are knowing deliverance from its power in increasing measurements day by day. This deliverance is so real that John can boldly write these words in 1 John 3 8 He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And in 1 John 3 9 Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin for his seed remained in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Here John is telling us that sin is now no longer in our history and that we shall, not again, we shall not again commit sin. He is instead saying that to sin is not the nature of what which is born of God. He is saying that to sin is not the nature of that which is born of God. The life of Christ has been planted in us by a new birth and its nature is not to commit sin. There is a big difference between the nature of the life within us and our past life. Let's say we compare a piece of wood to God's nature that cannot sin. According to nature, we can put a piece of wood in the water and it will float. Wood by nature will not sink. But by past experience, we know that if we hold It under the water it will sink. That is a fact. Just like sins in our past experience are facts. But nature is a fact also. And so is the new nature that we have that we have received in Christ. If we are in Christ, we will not sin. What is in Adam can sin and will do so whenever Satan is given a chance to exert its power. It is our choice, it is our choice of which facts we will count upon and live by the tangible facts of daily experience or the mightier facts that we are now in Christ. The power of his resurrection is on our side, and the whole might of God is on, at work in our salvation as we can see in here in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at things that are seen, but at things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Substance in this verse means subs, substantiating of things hoped for. That's a long word. Substantiating. It literally means making them real in experience. How do I, subst- how, how do I substantiate something? It's like proving it whether to see whether it's real or not. Let's take our eyes and ears, for example. We we can see all kinds of beautiful things with our eyes, flowers, grass, mountains, and hear all kinds of music and voices. Our eyes and ears, we can substantiate all these things before us. We can make these things in reality in our brains because we have seen and heard them. When I hear somebody play the piano in the... Uh, in a dining hall, and I walk out and I am substantiating that somebody is playing in the, in the the uh, at the stage because I can see them. A blind and deaf person from birth cannot substantiate these things because they have never seen them. That person cannot give these things reality in their consciousness. Even though that blind and deaf person hasn't seen, heard or seen flowers and mountains and heard the music of voices, That doesn't mean that they are not fact. They are, in fact, real things, regardless of whether he has experienced them or not. The same is true for spiritual things, the things that are eternal and unseen. We cannot substantiate divine things with our natural senses, but we have one faculty which can substantiate the things hoped for, the things of Christ, and that is faith. Faith makes real Things to become real by experience. Faith substantiates to me the things of eternal, unseen, the things of Christ. All of you sitting here have read Romans 6 6, that our old man was crucified with him. To fate, it is true. To logically human experience, it is not. Which one do you want to believe? These scriptures that Christ is showing us are not mere promises, but facts. The promises of God are revealed to us by his spirit that we may lay hold of them. But facts are facts, whether we believe them or not. They are still true. It does not need faith to make these things real in themselves, but faith can substantiate them and make them real in our experience. As soon as we have accepted our death with Christ as a fact, we get baptized on that fact. Satan will do his best to demonstrate convincingly by the evidence of our day-to-day experience that we are not dead at all, but very much alive. We must choose. Will we believe Satan's lie or God's truth? Are we going to be governed by appearances or by what God says? 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constrained us because we thus judge that if one died for all then we're all dead. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. Because Christ has died and since one died for all therefore all died whether my experience proves it or seems to disprove it, the fact remains unchanged. While I stand upon that fact, Satan cannot prevail against me. Remember that his attack is always upon our assurance. If he can get us to doubt God's word, then his intent is to fulfill, and he has us in his power. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by feet, not by sight. There's a story that fact, fate, and experience were walking on top of a wall. Fact walked steadily along, not turning to the right or to the left, and never looking behind him. Fate followed fact, keeping his eyes on fact. Everything went well with fate so long as he kept his eyes on fact. But as soon as he became concerned about experience walking behind him and turned to see how he was getting along, he lost his balance and tumbled off the wall, and poor old experience fell down after him. And this is the way it works with our lives practically. If we resort to follow our senses to discover the truth, we shall find Satan's lies are often enough true to our experience. But we refuse to accept as, as binding anything that contradicts God's word and maintain an attitude of faith in him alone. We shall find instead that Satan's lies begins to dissolve and our experience is coming more and more in reality with God's word. Romans 6.11 Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The scripture here declared that we are dead indeed to sin. Nowhere does it say that we are dead in ourselves. We are dead not in ourselves, but dead in Christ, dead on the cross with him. John fifteen four Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he that abided in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. For from these verses, we can see that we are not told to struggle to get into Christ, nor Are we told to get there because we are there already? We are told to stay where God put us. We should abide in him. Not strive to abide, but to abide. Abiding in him is walking in faith of the work that he has already done in us. If we are believers. So what goes wrong in everyday life? How does this work practically? This is a lot of technicalities I just shared. It's all true. But how do we understand it in experience as we leave this building? If we experience no reality in abiding in him and keep falling back into sin because we turn our attention to the flesh and our desires, we turn back and look at the past. We have therefore chosen not to walk by fate, but walk in the flesh. We look back to past experiences instead of looking ahead to fate. As soon as we heed to these temptations, we have already moved over to the realm of the flesh. And we will fail in the flesh. We have crossed over to the realm of the flesh and are obeying Satan's lie. If our desires are in him, we will abide in him, and his fruits will be evident in our lives. It is our choice. Sin has been put to death. It is up to us to choose fate. When we're faced with a temptation, it is up to us to choose fate. We can either choose fate or we can choose our flesh. And it's not going to be easy to choose fate. Choosing. It is up to us to hang out with certain friends. It is up to us to sleep an hour longer. It is up to us to take another look at that immodest girl on your phone or mall. It is up to us to click on that movie or, or keep scrolling for another 30 minutes. We are choosing by these things if we choose fate or we choose the flesh. And that requires us, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to die, and it's going to... We know when things are easy and when they're hard. Choose fate over flesh. The choice is ours daily. Indeed, every few moments when we subconsciously make decisions, brethren, we are not dead. Every moment we are reminded of that, and therefore have to keep making decisions to walk in fate. Sin has been put to death. You, you that are asking for baptism are telling us of that fact that sin is dead in you. That supernatural work has been done in your life and that has shown you of that fact. If you're still walking in sin, you are not walking by faith. Not walking by faith is a road that leads to spiritual death and hell. I want to speak practically to you young people. If you are abiding, reckoning in him by faith, but but at an unwatchful time of temptation overtakes you and that you fall into sin again. Guilt overtakes you and you are left reeling on the ground spiritually. You know, we have an advocate with the Father and and we can come to the throne of forgiveness. If we have wronged someone, we can ask for forgiveness. What if that cycle comes daily to us or weekly by besetting sins? By experience, we find we have no victory over sin. I would say then that you are not walking by faith. You are walking in the flesh. I would say that you need to take a week or two to truly fast and pray and seek the face of God. If this cycle is left unchecked, it will destroy you. It will cause you to become calloused, indifferent, and lukewarm. Becoming convicted of sin and accepting Christ is not only a special gift, but a very serious decision and should be taken seriously. Breaking a sin forgiveness pattern always requires earnestness, prayer, fasting and accountability to your brethren to certain besetting sins that you keep struggling with. Just because you don't experience victory in your spiritual life doesn't mean that God's word is not true. It means you have not experienced the reality of it because you still love walking in the flesh. And that is the crux of the matter. You still love walking in the flesh more than walking by faith. And it does not mean that we do this alone. The Holy Spirit is there with us if we truly listen to Him. But He cannot robotically take our hands and move it somewhere else. No, it's our choice. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. In closing... 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with the open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So it's saying it's a journey here from glory to glory. As we continue to abide in the vine, we are changed from the, into the same image from glory to glory. 1 Corinthians one thirty. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's because of him. It's because of his work. It was the work of God to put you there, and, and he has done it. Now stay there. Do not be moved back on your own ground. Never look at yourself as though you were not in Christ. Look at Christ and see yourself in him. Abide in him. Rest in the fact that God has put you in his son. And live in the expectation that he will complete the work in you. For it is for him to make good the glorious promises that sin shall not have dominion over you. In my next session, we will study Romans 7 and 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. Hopefully it all made sense to you. Um, it sure made sense to me as I was studying it. We have to understand Romans 6. It was put in there for a reason, and he did not say that we are dead for for a reason. It said it because it, he means it. Paul understood it when he wrote it, that we are dead. And Christ lives through us. Amen.